This episode of TechPod is brought to you by the Thwack Monthly Mission. Join in this January's mission to learn even more about the latest tech predictions. Explore the tech of tomorrow today and play along each week for the chance to win cool prizes. For more information, visit thwack.solarwinds.com. Hello and welcome to another SolarWinds Tech Pod. Today, Sean and I are joined by our head geeks, Crystal Taylor, Sasha Giza, and as we discuss emerging tech trends for 2023. We'll be speaking about Gartner's predictions, global trends, and of course, any trends we foresee at SolarWinds. Crystal and Sasha, welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's always great to be on TechPod. Thanks for having us. And Sean, welcome back. Hey, Chris, good to be here and good to see you, Crystal and Sasha. So I thought we'd kick off and explore some of Gartner's predictions. They have published their top 10 strategic technology trends for 2023. Um, and because I'm assuming our listeners don't have the article handy, I will rattle off that list quickly. They are digital immune system, applied observability, AI trust, risk and security management, industry cloud platforms, platform engineering, wireless value realization, super apps, adaptive AI, metaverse and sustainable technology now i listed those off rather fast but they are there any in particular that stand out to either of you or any of you any kind of grab your attention sound really interesting yeah i'd like to talk about um the ai trust and risk and all of that that goes with it um i think that's really interesting lately has been kind of sweeping the world by storm is uh two in particular ai which is the chat gpt from uh, OpenAI and also the kind of, it's Lensa, I think, is the app for the um, uh, the AI art. And uh, it's very interesting because that one has hit basically the world. The chat GPT is more focused in the tech world and it brings up some questions and it makes me wonder about how these things were handled in the past. I didn't do uh, research into thinking about it, but especially the art one, digital artists are kind of in a bit of an uproar um, because they see it as art theft. And I was just thinking before we started recording today about, I wonder if that is what, you know, physical medium artists thought about camera photography. Like, is that theft of my art? In, and did we go through all of this before? But either way, I think that we do need more regulation around AI. I mean, there's so much possibilities and that's only continuing to be shown. I mean, look at Look at what they're doing with um, the chat GPT, right? They're, they're, they can write basic code with that. That that thing can write basic code. It can write scripted uh, Word documents for you. It can do, I mean, there's there's limitations and obviously it's, it's limited to the data that you feed it. And I think that's the important part of the conversation. AI is only as good as the data that it bases everything off of. So like for the, the art piece, they're they're feeding it, you know, well-known works of art, lesser well-known works of art, and it's um, not been purchased from the person, and use of it has not been purchased for the person, which is by the person, which is why it, it's kind of taken that art world by storm. I follow a lot of artists on Instagram, so I've been kind of vis- visibly seeing kind of the uproar, and I I like to support art. I have several pieces in here and all throughout my house of so different pieces of art, and I do think it's important to support artists because it's like a humanity thing right so like at what point does ai take over hu- human tasks like right n- not just your basic man manual i mean anything that you could do with the computer sure sure that makes sense but um now that digital i mean digital art is a thing that's 
also going to be a digital thing, right? So I don't know. It's very interesting. I think we do need more regulation. I think that there is risk associated with uh, all of that as well, right? Like all of these people are not checking what Lensa is getting out of your phone or any of those things. And ChatGPT, what permissions does that need? It's in OpenAI. It's all this stuff. So you start to think about what is that? What risk is that presenting? And do you need to be worried about that? Are they using those things on your business phones, for instance, right? Like if uh, if I have an iPhone that my employer gave me and I'm using any of those AI per platforms, like do should, is that a thing that I should be doing? These are these are questions that need to be asked and answered over the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really valid and important topic. Yeah. So basically, I think that um, you know we need more regulation. We need to assess risk and. And the trust that we're giving, you know, employees and also ours, you know, personal security is also really important to me. So like making sure that you're checking permissions, even when it's on your personal phone, we don't know what it's getting all of this stuff from. Like theoretically, it's just taking all of this information from Google. You know, that search engine was built and it has all this information. And um, that's a fun thing, too, is seeing people talking about it being a faster search than Google now. Um, so that's a whole different topic. The chat GPT, that is. Yeah, I think this is a super interesting and, and valid conversation. And I, it's interesting to hear AI kind of used for, well, I don't want to say evil, but, you know, used without consent, perhaps in, in some context. But how, you know, if we think about adaptive AI, to flip it on its head here, what are some ways that you think AI could be used for good? Well, I think there's lots of interesting use cases. And uh, actually, there's, there's one thing, as Crystal, you mentioned, you need or you would like to see more regulations. I think we see a lot of regulations around AI. It's just that using AI for creativity is new and kind of unexpected. Um, we see it here in in, uh, in the EU. There's actually um, uh, attempts to ban AI in recruitment. So that that is something that's uh, most likely going to happen because they don't want a machine to decide who gets a job or not. Um, and that is obviously a difficult decision because AI is very useful when it comes to filtering all those thousands of candidates, uh, but the final say should have a human, right? So that that's I think we can all agree on that. Um, but absolutely, there's there's perfectly fine use cases, and we do see those use cases now. It's no longer just fancy marketing terms or or stuff that. Um, yeah, it might work one day. No, we see actual use cases today and we might use it in our uh, in standard tools, which we use all the day without even realizing that there are some, even if it's a low-level form of AI, uh, included. So there's a lot of interesting stuff happening now. And first and foremost, it is far more affordable for companies than in the past. Something interesting about this is, you're definitely right, Crystal. Um, I agree with you, at least, that uh, regulations are necessary. But it makes me think about when I was doing papers in college or when I look at an art piece and they give credit to inspiration, right? Because when you're thinking about the AI designing it, it's just a different form of inspiration. It was inspired by something else's photo. And in those cases, it can be an honor to the original artist that it was an inspiration for this new piece of art. Um, and I don't think it has to be that far out from that same topic. It does somewhat dull the uh, sense of awe that a machine created it versus a human, right? That that always gets you a little bit more excited knowing that someone was able to do this. 
So I think when it comes to art, there's just that uh, the human element, like you were saying, is a big piece of it. But with regulations in, involved, I think that we're still having an original piece of art inspire a new creation of art in almost the same way that a person would create it. Obviously, now it's just technology doing it. Um, I think the better it can be, uh, the even cool, even cooler. Uh, I mean, there there is some pretty cool results and even funny stuff to to me. If you haven't heard songs created uh, by AI before, when you feed it other songs, it learns what uh, are are popular or, or, or looks at the rhythms of those and then creates a new output of songs. And sometimes the AI is just not ready and you get some really weird stuff. So I think that the inspiration or influence doesn't have to be such a negative thing. I think that you're right, regulations and appropriate credit being due, which is why I brought up the writing papers in, in college, right? You got to cite your work. So I think with that kind of uh, thought process, it can be less of the evil and more of the inspirational and artistic piece of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just think that we're, it's like you said, it happens so fast. Like I didn't know about the music one, but I now I'm totally intrigued and I want to go listen to some weird AI generated song. But <laughs> but I think that it it's the art bit is so new and um, it feels like it kind of uh, shell-shocked almost the art world. Like uh, like I said earlier, I wonder if that's the same thing that happened when photography started becoming popular. Like is it that they started to have the same the same problem, right? Like where the artists, the artists with physical mediums, you know, you've built this sculpture and it took you 10 years and now someone has a picture of it on their phone as their background or whatever. Like is that... It's not necessarily evil, um, but I think that when they, like you said, like AI is generating it, that makes that takes the human factor out, and it is a little less inspiring. And I also think that it the the further we go, taking away kind of the humanities, I suppose, from the humans, um, we stop appreciating them as much. And so I worry as a consumer of art and music and literature and all this that one day I won't be able to tell the difference. And then that will not inspire any new next generation to go become artists. And I think we'll lose something uh, as humanity when that happens. Or maybe, maybe they'll come up with something new to do. I don't know. Um, we're quite adaptable humans. But as far as like good uses of tech, I mean, we have uh, the anomalous based alerting, which is really interesting, right? That's using AI and machine learning to check for uh, anomalous situations in monitoring so that you can be aware something has happened and not only has something happened, but it's not normal that this happened. Um, and that's, you know, just kind of starting out, but I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about where it's going, taking that time out of your regular monitoring engineer's day to have to sit there and connect all the dots and go check all the different pages. Now you can have a place that says that this was not normal and maybe you should go check it out. And here are the related things that happen around that time. I think that those types of innovations using AI and machine learning are very exciting because they save us all time. And I think we don't all at the end of the day like to save ourselves a little time. Absolutely. No doubt. Um, and I think that's a pretty natural segue because we do leverage AI ops in our two new observability solutions and applied observability was one of the the kind of Gartner 2023 predictions. Um, so for any listeners out there unfamiliar, we launched two observability solutions this year, hybrid cloud observability and SolarWinds observability, Sasha and Crystal, if you'd like to speak to any of those and kind of how AI ops plays into those solutions. Well, there's um, 
AIOps in Sodomans observability, and it kind of goes one step above what Crystal mentioned earlier with the alert stack. So what, what we want to do is we would like to prevent um, unnecessary alerts. That That is a, a huge problem, and actually it's probably a customer feature request created eight years ago or whatever, long, 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 long time ago, um, far too many alerts. And as it happens with, actually, with us humans, when there's too much information, we tend to ignore things, meaning um, our solution sends so many alerts for no reason, we ignore them, and one day the data center starts burning, and we keep on ignoring it. That actually happened in Paris last year. Um, anyway, so removing removing all those unnecessary alerts was a task, and we use artificial intelligence for that um, in, in the form of AI ops in one of the tools. Yeah, the uh, anomalous-based alerting that I um, referenced <clears throat> and alert stack that Sasha just referenced are uh, available in hybrid cloud observability. So so alerting is kind of the first step for us in the AI ML kind of world, right? Because that's a long time complaint, as Sasha said, to, to minimize the unnecessary alerts. They don't want to configure 400 alerts to get the right information, right? So so that's kind of the first step in that direction. And I think it's something that all of our customers would thank us for, finding ways that they can, you know, filter through that noise of alerts and really focus on on the items that are, you know, the most impactful for them. I think it's nice to lean on the technology to not just, and of course it is programmed, but not just respond to something that I programmed it to respond to, but to do a little bit more cognitive thinking and and provide me a suggestion based off of what it is. And of course, here's the word observing, but right, we're, and, and it's still going to be transactional. We, you know, we're, we're almost symbiotic. We, we fuel the AI, the AI fuels us. Uh, so I'm telling it what I want and it's telling me what I want it to tell me. It's a, I think it's a, a good relationship and I'm excited to continue to see this grow um, as it learns, we learn. So this is a very, very exciting time. Yeah. And it's not even the first uh, first foray into this kind of area, right? We've had um, forecasting for CPU and memory and those kinds of things for a while where we can say you're going to run out of CPU in the on this server at this time. We've also had virtualization recommendations. So you can look at your orphan VMs and it'll tell you to move them or remove them or those kinds of things. So we, we kind of started on this journey a while back. It's just kind of really taking off now. And I'm, I'm really excited about where it's going. So another interesting topic that certainly caught my eye, and I know it did a few others when we were kind of chatting beforehand, is sustainable technology. Sasha, do you have any thoughts on kind of how we can go about being mindful about the technology we use as an organization um, and kind of how to improve processes and practices to bear sustainability in mind in future. That's a that's a very interesting topic and a quite hot one, I guess. I mean, um, everyone knows that the climate needs a little bit of help, just a tiny bit, okay? And um, I mean, there's multiple multiple ways where even the use of technology in an organization could help. And it does come with a few other side effects, like um, uh, energy costs is through the roof here in Europe, at least. So organizations look for any way to lower their cost. And mm, let's keep it easy. Let's talk about um, getting new hardware. So when, whenever the cycle is up to um, acquire new network gear or servers, whatever, previously for most organizations, efficiency was a nice to have. 
the um, highly efficient gear was only really important for high density environments like like a data center, or whatever, right? So thousand servers, you save a little bit of energy. It's big money, but now um, this is a little bit different. It's it's uh, not a nice to have. It's a major factor for getting new gear in if you can save energy, lowering costs, and yes, you do something good for the environment. The problem is that efficient hardware is usually a little bit more expensive because it's using the latest technology and, hey, um, it's difficult to get these things. You ever try to getting a new catalyst switch these days? You wait six to nine months, right? So, but the, the advantage is even if it is a little bit more expensive, you save in the long run. You keep the gear for a couple of years. Um, it, it pays back and saving energy. But there's far more. Even if you don't intend to get new gear, um, it's a good idea to use, well, to use observability solution to check how much energy is currently consumed and where is potential to improve it. You can't improve what you can't see. That, that is a pretty, pretty basic statement. And uh, I'm, I'm bringing up so many topics here, we can go into details. Uh, recruitment is another one. We always say there's a talent shortage and it's difficult to attract or read or keep talent. And that is a big problem for the public sector because the public sector can in no way compete with the private sector when it comes to salary. But when when they come up with statements, hey, we do something for the environment, we do something for our regional community, um, that is a, that is a big plus for, for recruitment too, which many organizations begin to see now. And I'm pretty sure we will see more of that in uh, the next year. What is the next year? 23, right? Yes, 23. That's next year. There's another another topic on kind of sustainable technology that I know you had brought up before, Sasha, and I'd love to explore that a little bit more. Um, talking about green code, so bearing in mind, you know, having the mindset to create efficient code um, that doesn't use too many CPU cycles. Is there anything you can expand on that? It's a new concept to me. I hadn't heard it before. You had mentioned it, um, okay. so I'd love okay. to explore that. Well, I'm not I'm not a professional coder. I'm pretty sure there are people who can explain this better than I am, but there's a difference between, let's call it lazy code and efficient code. So we could probably reach whatever goal we want to do with our code in, in any way, with thousands of lines and using uh, functions which are like 15 years old, whatever. So we get to the goal, but running that code in production will consume, as you mentioned, CPU or other resources, loads of resources. Now, we could probably create a more lean version of that code, which runs with less resources. Coding it that way might be a little bit more complicated. It might use new functions, which just have been invented a couple of years ago with latest upgrades and frameworks, whatever. Um, but there are ways to uh, code more green. And that is definitely something that is taken into consideration by many software vendors. We might be one of those, but uh, I think too, this brings up an interesting point because you're talking about writing new code. And I think one of the things that we generally fail at as a, as an industry is reevaluating and updating old code, right? Until it needs to be fully replaced. Oftentimes it's not something that you go back and evaluate to see if it can be more efficient or um, you know, anything really, right? Until it becomes a problem. That's not a thing you look at, right? I mean, how many times over the years have I seen somebody with a report and they're like, oh, this report takes 
it takes 10 minutes to run and you're like mm, uh, probably that code that you used to write that in a uh, t-sql or whatever could be more efficient than what it is because it's taking that long and it's probably not supposed to take that long so you're introducing and when you have databases involved you introduce you know lock weights and um other things that can cause additional problems for your setup so i'm talking about a you know like a, a orion or a hypercloud observability type environment where you have a monitoring system and you're doing reporting there because that's where my experience lies but i think that the same thing is true pretty much everywhere right how often are you given the time to go reevaluate existing functions and, and existing code that you've built or anything else to see that it's operating at efficiency is there a way that we can make this better and um, even even changing something as simple as changing some settings in an, in an application can make a huge difference to how it runs on that server. And maybe you could get some of those resources back. I think it's worth doing an evaluation uh, if you want to remain sustainable, doing a regular evaluation to make sure things are running as optimized and efficiently as possible. Maybe maybe once a, week, a year, go check on stuff and see if it's still doing all right. Like, are you is it still operating under expected parameters is it uh, taking longer now uh, you know whatever the case may be should do some evaluations and then maybe that will uh, empower more green coding in the future as well because they'll get used to reevaluating and um, making their existing code more efficient so they'll start doing it more from the beginning that would be my hope <laughs> i love hearing that so much um some of the stuff i always talk about is continual improvement and a lot of times especially what we're talking about technology um, and products like this, you're right, new is the is the focus. New doesn't always have to be the focus. If you have a great product, keep it great. It's already great, so let's just enhance the greatness. Uh, we don't always necessarily need something new to make it more attractive. If it was already attract attractive, excuse me, then just continue to improve on what made it so strong in the first place. Um, and this kind of technology, you're talking about reviewing code, meaning that you also have the ability to push code out to that existing product. This is a big thing for me when it comes to sustainable technology. Things like thin clients, SaaS products, uh, things that can help eliminate the need for physical equipment to constantly be refreshed and updated. Uh, with things like thin clients now, you can upgrade the technology they're using without touching what they are touching, right? They're, they're using their hardware as a medium to access the technology. And so there's less need to actually upgrade the physical world of technology nowadays. Um, and I know this kind of to something that Sasha had mentioned earlier is much harder in the public sector because uh, a lot of times there's physical on-premise requirements. So we can't do as much remote access or cloud access, but this world is becoming much more secure, the cloud realm. Um, so I'm seeing this open up a lot more, and I'm super excited for this because, again, uh, I'm a fan personally of being able to keep my same phone for as long as I can until I've dropped it enough times it doesn't work, right? Because for the most part, I can update it so that it's got more capable technologies, it's more secure, um, and I don't actually have to change the physical piece of it. I'm also a creature of habit, so I like being able to have my hands on the same phone for a certain amount of time because I get used to it, and it becomes my friend, and... I don't want to let it go, but that's just the sentimental human element of me with that. But I think this is a super fun, and we even talked about it a touch in our last TechBot episode with Kristen. For example, USB-C cables, trying to make more universal plugs so we don't have to, as an organization, have an excessive number of different types of cables just to make sure 
with this technology, this one works. With that technology, this one doesn't work. Right. Doesn't scale very well. So super excited about a lot of the stuff. And I think cloud and subscription-based software like this is going to have a huge impact on that sustainability. So Sean, you touched on an interesting point there, which was that um, public sector isn't able to keep up, right, with the upgrades and stuff. They have a lot more red tape. They have a lot less budget, a lot of that stuff. And I think that that's where sustainable technology should be being looked at more, right? Because you can definitely say that this will last 10 years versus the two years that that catalyst switch I was going to get is going to get or whatever, you know, like it can last longer. And not only that, I mean, that's a that's a place where you should be reevaluating, as I mentioned before, reevaluating your existing things to see if there's a way to optimize it and improve it when you can't get the budget, when you can't get the approval to do those improvements. And then additionally, you can say, hey, this is maybe this is saving us X amount of dollars in energy costs. Maybe this is saving us um, X amount of labor costs if it's, you know, code that's working more efficiently or whatever. Like there's definitely things that you can translate that to the business need. So you can get buy-in when you need to make those updates, but it is a lot more difficult in um, public sector to get the buy-in. So you should be able to kind of Um, alter the conversation to where it's not necessarily all about spend, um, but more about sustainability and making everything last longer so your budget can go farther. No, I love love that. And, you know, I can relate to it so much. I'm in software sales. uh, So that's something I deal with constantly. And I think it's up to us, not just on the sales teams, but um, as, as kind of spokespersons for technology like this, uh, to be the evangelist and help spread that story and, and try and get that out there. Because a lot of things that the public sector does are, well, they're public services. So I would like to see those public services be more empowered, more technology capable, instead of they're the ones that are behind. When they're the ones providing those public services uh, to the citizens of their government, their organization, their country, etc. So I'm pretty pleased. We've listed off a few of Gardner's predictions that resonate with us and that we think we also agree with that are emerging trends for 2023, but I'm curious to know kind of what you, Crystal and Sasha, what you think the process is for defining predictions. Um, we could, you know, we couldn't possibly guess how Gartner came to their list of ten, but is there a process? Like, how do we get in the mindset of, you know, tech trends and predictions for a new year? Well, I think we we see a need. And we identify the need when talking to customers, to users of, of technology, um, or to stick with the public sector, the user would be the citizen. So what do we need as citizens, right? We identify a need, and then we look what could be a possible solution for that, what could fix it. And that would make a great uh, prediction. That, that would be one way to, to process this. Uh, but I think Crystal has... Uh, much more interesting theory on that topic. Well, Sasha and I also have come up with our own predictions every year for SolarWinds um, for what is going to be an emerging technology trend for 2023. And I think what my process is generally a combination of things that I'm hearing and seeing in the world, right? Like it's starting to pick up either from um, you know, uh, different articles out there, talking to customers, going to big trade shows and talking to people just in general and kind of observing what people are, are what, what are the sessions people are attending, that kind of stuff. Like what are, what's really interesting people right now? 
And social media plays a part in that as well, right? Because like the chat GBT thing, that is taking social media by storm. So, you know, you can kind of see those things start to take off. But for me personally, what I really like to do is sort of go with what I hope to see in the next year and less what I necessarily think is going to happen. Um, if anything, I, I hope to um, put the thought out there so that we can start to think about these things more. We can start to improve upon ourselves. And uh, so my my predictions are not always like this is based on um, hard data, but it's a kind of a combination of those things plus, you know, what I would hope to see in the world. And I hope that um, I hope that people take cybersecurity more seriously and I hope that people take their personal security more seriously. So I, I tend to uh, lean a little bit more into the the nice things that I want to happen in the world that we will improve as a, a general industry and as a world society. And I color that with data that I've heard and talked to people throughout the year. We would like to see improvements, right? There's been a huge number of cybersecurity breaches over the last several years, and they're all very high profile. And even the general citizenry knows about them now, which I mean, five years ago, that wasn't the case. They didn't know anything. And now even they're aware of things. So like, I think that that in itself is a is an edging towards the trend, right? It's it's adding to that trend that we are taking it. We are having to take it more seriously. We're realizing that um, things like convenience are less important than security. So I think that that's really interesting. And that's how that's how I color my own predictions. I can't speak to how Gartner does anything. I have to assume it's based off of some sort of data. Um, but I haven't talked to them and I don't know what they do. <laughs> that's very fair. And since you I know that you've kind of revealed a couple of your tech predi predictions for 2023. Um, are you able to share any others? This is the SolarWinds tech pod after all. So any any kind of emerging trends or predictions you see for 2023? Yeah, uh, my main prediction is around dealing with tool sprawl. So it goes right back to that sustainability and kind of doing assessments. So I think that one of the things that happened when the pandemic started and kind of hasn't been cleaned up still is we all had to make a massive instantaneous shift and we didn't get the time to vet and go through all our normal processes. And maybe we had a two or three year digital transformation plan that we then had to enact in two weeks. Um, so I think a lot of that technology is like kind of sporadic, like people got the tools that worked at the time and now maybe they're going to sit down and evaluate. Is this the right tool for us? Is it doing the right things for us? Is it optimized? Is it efficient? Are we are we getting what we need out of these things? And that's what I think is uh, going to be more of a trend in the coming year. And then, like I said, the other the other main one that I've talked about recently is about cybersecurity. And I would uh, I, I like to think that people take it more seriously. People in general are more aware that it is a problem. Um, so hopefully uh, we'll see improvements in that um, in that way as well. I am not a head geek, but I have some things that I want to quote unquote predict. And I think this just kind of ties into a lot of the trends in general. And it may not even just be a 2023 trend. I think that it's going to be an ongoing trend. Um, but some of the stuff that ties together is super apps, sustainability, platform engineering. Um, and I think, you know, especially from a, a SolarWinds perspective, um, I'd like to see more of that platform focus. Making that super app is more sustainable. And this ties back everything we've been talking about today, pretty much. Um, I'd, I'd like to, as an organization, as a customer, as a consumer, have one vendor, one platform, and I can a la carte... I can add, remove my contract is much easier to manage. 
and the access to the technology is a more unified experience so that I'm not going to three, five, seven different pieces of technology, like you were saying, tool sprawl, Crystal. Um, I, I want one technology that can do many things. Um, and so I think that the super apps, um, throwing AI in there, uh, that becomes sustainable technology. The platform experience can continue to uh, allow me to reevaluate the code so we can enhance, like you were saying, continue to improve that without having to always constantly add new features. Yeah, and I just wanted to I just want to circle back to what you said, maybe not over the next year. Even the Gartner report is not intended to predict only 2023. If you look at their trends, it goes like they have stuff for 2023 and of the list that you listed out in the very beginning of TechPod, some of those are like they expect in one to two years or two to three years or three to five years, right? It's not maybe it's not always um the tech predictions I think are not always intended to say this will happen in 2023 and it will not happen after that. I think that um, it's way more flexible than that. I, and so I like to think that it is it is part hope, what we hope will be taken a bit more seriously and maybe just start down the road, right? The trend will be going that direction rather than um, it's we're going to get all the way there. So, you know, people should just generally keep that in mind. Yeah, 2023 means this is when we're releasing these trend predictions, but they could be for one or many, many years. And if we have time, Chris, um, I know we mentioned it in the list of trend predictions. I think this would be super fun. The metaverse. I am super curious to hear what you have to say about the metaverse, Crystal and or Sasha. Not much good stuff. I must. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a nice concept, and it's kind of an interesting. Um, alternate reality it promises to be a new place for us to meet to to communicate maybe even to do some work um, but why does it exist it exists so companies um, give us a, a, a locked down ecosystem where we spend time and more importantly spend a lot of money so they, they want us to go there, want us to stay there and buy things. Um, doesn't matter if it's company A, B or C. I mean, there's just five big names in, in that pool right now. Um, so so they, they want us to spend money over there. So this is an interesting concept and um, it's not super new. Even the word meta uh, is like 150 years old or maybe maybe even older. Um, so they're... they're um, it fails in so many corners, right? Um, you hear that, hey, we do a party over there, no one comes. We do a, a press release over there, no one is there. Um, uh, 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 you know what? I, I stop it. I, I, it's not my favorite topic. <laughs> Say it that way. Um, I agree completely. I don't have much nice things to say. I do think, though, that it is an interesting concept, and it's kind of, it's interesting how much money is being invested in that for how little they have to show. Um, I think that is the most interesting thing about it. I kind of have a theory that maybe they watched Ready Player One and they thought the Oasis, that's a great place. We should make that real. And I don't know that we're ready for that as a society. So I think that, you know, it's one of those things like sometimes technology comes out and it's ahead of its time. I think the concept is ahead of its time. I think the technology is not there yet and it's not even close. 
I totally hear where you guys are coming from. And I, when I look at metaverse, I think of it less as a, a single world, a single place. Um, and this is going to get super theoretical. So bear with me. Hold on to your chairs. Um, but I think the metaverse exists already in many ways um, because the universe is all of our own individual perceptions of what we're experiencing. So the fact that you and I are having a discussion, and it might be for our listeners, purely audio. That is taking them to their own version of a metaverse. Uh, since we have regular team meeting calls, virtual happy hours, uh, those are, in a sense, their own metaverse. Um, something that we talked about prior uh, was, for example, Peloton and other similar products like that. When you're experiencing a physical bike ride that's taking you to a virtual destination, um, and it, the more you can enhance that virtual experience, you're in a metaverse riding a bicycle in whatever place across the planet you want. Um, and I also heard a pretty cool story. Someone's um, parent or grandmother or relative who had not been to Europe in a long time, I think it was Paris, maybe uh, somewhere in France, I think, um, put on the Oculus Rift and was able to walk the streets there uh, and create that experience. So I think in a lot of ways the metaverse exists. It doesn't have to be a single product platform company releasing it. I think it's just a different concept of changing your perception and experience using technology. Um, so just my thoughts. I'm also an optimist. You know, I'll talk about this stuff too, but um, I'm excited for what it can do. And man, if Oasis was real, Crystal, that would be some stuff. That would be really cool. It's certainly an interesting way of looking at things. Well, that's me. I, I'm interesting. Okay, I'll take it. You are interesting. <laughs> All right, we're next. So we heard from Crystal. Sasha, what are some of your tech predictions for 2023 and beyond? So I made an interesting observation. Um, this year I traveled a lot and what I heard a lot, um, I mentioned this kind of as a joke, as I said, it takes a long time when you order a Cisco Catalyst now that it arrives. Um, this is a global thing and it's a huge problem for many organizations because they can't get gear which they ordered and they need it. So what I heard frequently um, all over the globe, um, they started ordering, well, let's call them B brands. So not not the real big players, no Cisco, no Juniper, but maybe a Microtech or whatever. Um, they ordered gear from those brands because it was available. Um, and some planned like, okay, this is like an, like an interim solution. Whenever my, my, my catalyst uh, arrives, I will swap it. But I also heard a few times um, this stuff does the job on the very same level and it costs 10% of what I would pay with the bigger brands. Um, those A brands are out. They are no longer purchasing them. That was a very interesting statement. Um, obviously, time will tell if that's true because um, enterprises don't have long-term experience with those smaller brands. There, there's good reasons why they stick to the bigger ones, right? Support and the stuff lasts and yada, yada. Um, but we will see what's going to happen. And this is a chance for those smaller brands to uh, get a feet in the door of um, big enterprise, big corporations, where they usually were only used for uh, SMB sector. That, that is quite an interesting one. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Is there anything you're hoping to see less of in 2023 in terms of tech predictions? The metaverse, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fair enough. Uh, I look forward to seeing less uh, marketing words that don't make any sense for technology. <laughs> well, that would be auto magical. Mm, yeah, it won't. It won't happen. But uh, I'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's kind of like a smart automation. Yeah, that reminds me of our conversation around super apps. We were like, "What? How do you define super apps? Super apps?" Or um, but the other the other one was the digital immune system. Okay. Perfect. All right. Sure. Well, I don't... <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, before we let you both go, um, we have a segment called Rapid Fire Questions, and you're not meant to have looked at them in advance, Sasha. We've we've done this with Crystal before, um, but we have a couple that we hope you don't mind us asking you. So I'm going to kick off with the first one for you, Sasha. Would you rather travel to the past or the future? Ooh, can I choose location and what kind of past it is? <laughs> I don't know. Please, yes. You can be as specific as you like. Okay, uh, probably probably the past. Um, because then you can pick what you would like to experience, where and when. And there's not the, the huge uncertainty as of what happens next year or five years. Yes, I would be curious. Um as of what happens in five years, but hey, does the world still exist in five years? No one knows, right? So um, the, the, the past might be the safe bet, I guess. Okay, I have another one, um, and I hope I can phrase this in such a way that everyone understands what I'm trying to present. Um, and we'll since Saucer just answered, we'll go to Crystal first, but I, I want to hear both of your thoughts. Uh, if it was an option, would you live in a city in space? Mm, no. No? Okay, why? Kid. Oh, my my kid and, and his whole life and family is here. Not that he wouldn't think living in a city in space was cool because he's, you know, fixing to be 13. So <laughs> I'm sure that would be really cool. But uh, I don't think I'm prepared to take that kind of a risk at this stage of my life. Maybe maybe before he was born, I'd been like, yeah, let's go. But now I don't I don't think so. Okay, so some maternal instincts kicked in. Yeah, too much, too much risk, too much risk. I can understand and respect that. Um, okay, well, Sasha, how about you? Would you go live in a, you know, a, a civilization, a city in space? Well, as long as there's gravity, Italian food, and Amazon delivery, yes, absolutely, I would do. And why? Okay, well, there's a good chance. <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance Amazon is helping run this, and so. Um... <laughs> yes. You've described a utopia, Sasha. That's, that's kind of ideal. <laughs> At least my mind. <laughs> so I had another another rapid fire question. Um, if you were to pinpoint one tech innovation um, that you're really glad exists, um, what would that be? And that's to either of you. Um, I would still think it's mobile internet, any form of mobile internet. I, I remember being on the motorway and there's the, the name of a city and I was like I heard that name but it doesn't really I don't remember why in what context and that was before the mobile phone you know uh, if that happens now I'm just like Google 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 ah yes 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 okay um so many minor conveniences and that is that is uh, one of the big win for me well as a big gamer I'm gonna have to go with the personal PC I mean, I play a lot of games that don't require the internet, so I could probably be okay without that for gaming, but I would still want to play the games. I'll, I'll echo that. That's nice. Yeah. I, I don't know what I would do without my games. 
Okay. Um, when Sasha, since we got to ask this one uh, of Crystal previously, when are you most productive, Sasha? Time of day, time of week. When would you say you are most productive? Um, after breakfast, somewhere between breakfast and lunch, I guess. Not hungry, already awake, but not yet tired. So, not yet awake, a, a state of autopilot, you're most efficient? Oh, oh sorry, um, not, not... Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, no longer sleeping. So, in, in that state that you are right. awake, I, but I, not yet tired, which happens in the afternoon, yeah. I guess. You haven't haven't hit that after lunch snooziness. The itis, just the swelling. Uh, I've eaten too much, and now I need to nap to kind of bask under a, a heat lamp or something so that I can get back to normal. That's a visual. That is a visual. <laughs> we we used to call this the McDonald debuff. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that about wraps up our 2023 Tech Trends and Tech Predictions episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to us throughout the year. We really look forward to bringing you more Tech Pod content. Well, special thanks to Crystal Taylor and Sasha Giza for joining Chris and I today. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Really nice. Thank you for having us. It was a wonderful conversation. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on SolarWinds Tech Pod. I'm your host, Sean Sebring, joined, of course, by my co-host, Chris Bowie. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe and follow for more TechPod content. And thanks for tuning in.